Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Hope everybody's doing reasonably well out there considering that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, which is cr- pretty crazy. That every day we wake up in this global pandemic <laughs> and um, it's the weirdest shit ever. It feels like a dream, feels like a movie. Um, it feels like 9-11 on steroids in slow motion. It's fucking crazy. And uh, we haven't really done a podcast. Well, we haven't done a podcast together since it all started. So very glad to be able to talk to you guys finally. Absolutely. How have you been, Abby? I've been, I've been better. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm grateful that I'm healthy and safe and that I'm quarantined with someone that I have fun working together with and stuff like that so I'm trying to look at the positive side of things although it goes through ebbs and flows you know I mean my anxiety goes in waves and sometimes I'll be really overwhelmed and sometimes I'll just be able to just chill out and do art and make the best of the situation luckily I don't live downtown LA anymore that was that would have been really bad I think to live in like a high-rise densely populated building apartment building like right next to skid row so it would have just been really intense at this moment but i mean i just hope everyone else is keeping their sanity that that's really what this comes down to it's a really unpredictable and scary time i have not personally turned on the corporate media since i have been home since we took that break mike and i Um, but we do need to take this seriously and i have been reading a lot obsessively so just about the day-to-day updates and I think that um, it's really important to take the scientists and epidemiologists seriously and their estimates and what they're offering as solutions to flatten the curve and I just think that this is a really unique time of personal sacrifice and collective unity for the greater good and even if that means elderly people are most likely to die from this disease that does not mean that you should not take it seriously and not change your life to help the greater good. Uh, And it's really infuriating that people just keep saying over and over again, like it's not going to affect them. Because even if it doesn't, it's going to affect other people. (laughs) That's the point. Well, I think it's a denial. You know, it's funny when I hear people saying that, I could see young kid, you know, I'm invincible in your 20s saying that. That makes more sense to me. I've seen people taking it seriously, Abby, mm-hmm. and being like, oh my God, this is serious. We all need to worry. And then a week later, be like, you know what? This is an old person's disease. If you you know, if you know, don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be, you, you might get hit by this. But if you take care of yourself and you're young, like you don't have anything to worry about. It's like, how did they, it, to me, that's a very interesting evolution because that sort of reveals the how strong the denial impulse is in our brain that even after you've learned how serious this is, you go like up, like imagine it like a little graph, like you go up to the seriousness level and then you're, it's almost like your brain is craving and hungry for things to make it go back down. 
So like you, you, you absorb this sort of denialism mindset to make yourself relax because the stress and the intensity is almost like too much for your brain to process. And I've seen a lot of people going through this weird transition where they're seriously concerned and then suddenly they're not that concerned like a week later and they think they're going to be fine because they're not old or unhealthy. Well, it turns out that that's a complete myth. It's bullshit. And then on top of it, what kind of weird callous person Mm -hmm. would say that in general and be like, okay with that. It's like, wait, you don't have relatives who are old. You don't have friends and loved ones who are quote unquote unhealthy. There is sort of a weird thing. And I notice it from a lot of like Californian people, these like health nut kind of like holier than thou people where it's like, oh, well, you didn't take care of yourself. So you're going to die. It's like, do you not realize how many people in poverty like can't afford to eat healthy who like, fast food how many truckers have to sustain themselves on like fast food that don't like they can't do meal preps for their, like their trucking job do you fucking understand how classist and insulting and actually almost like fascistic and social darwinist it is to be like oh no i'm gonna be fine because i'm healthy and i'm young and you're just unhealthy and you're not going to be fine and you deserve it it's almost kind of implying that people who are unhealthy almost like deserve their fate or something. Well, there's something it's, really hyper individualistic about this society, aside from yes. the uniquely, you know, the consumerism and the rampant individualism, like in this culture. But it's also the callous attitude that you're talking about is super fascinating because there's something that's just super removed about collectivism in America. Yes. Way more than any other country in the entire world, you know, where it's like, well, whatever, we're not going to be affected. But the thing is, it's not just autoimmune disease, um, it, asthma and things like that. It's high blood pressure, diabetes, things like that, things like that you're talking about, people who are poor um, and poverty stricken in this country who have those ailments. That's who this is going to affect. <laughs> So well, yeah, and it's even, disgusting. And we don't even know. We don't even understand how this disease works yet. And yeah. we don't understand why certain people are so susceptible. The easiest factor we can point to is underlying health conditions. Mm -hmm. But how many people out there have some kind of genetic predisposition to a health condition that they have no idea about? It is a very weird and toxic mindset that people have. And it's not just denialism. It's also just, it's like shaming people into ha who have health problems. Like, there's a lot of people who are born with genetic issues that they cannot have helped through their own lifestyle choices. It's just so, it makes me furious. I, I do think this situation, it's revealing on the positive side, it's revealing a lot of good qualities in certain people who want to help people, who want to adopt this more collective mentality to donate masks to hospitals, to donate supplies to hospitals. But on the other hand, Abby, it's revealing a lot of human ugliness, even from people who are like our self-identified left that I've never thought I'd see before. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of shocking. But I think this is a real moment of truth where it's really revealing a lot of people for how they really are inside. And that in and of itself is sort of interesting to see, to witness. Well, fear is a powerful weapon, you know, and... And yeah. we're really seeing what people's true selves are revealed as when they're absolutely terrified. And you mentioned 9-11. That's really the only other thing that I can compare this to. But that was so specific and a one-time event. And yes, of course, it triggered a global war on terror that we're still in. But that was a, a local thing to New York City and 
this is kind of like what you always said about the anthrax attacks, like the fear that it could happen to you, your grandma opening the mailbox. You know, it's something that is so real, so impactful to every single person living in this country where the second you leave the house or you get groceries delivered, you feel like you can contract this potentially deadly virus. And that has the potential for widespread exploitation. That's the scariest thing to me is that under an administration like Donald Trump, and in the most hyper-capitalist country in the entire world that worships the market and does not give a fuck about its citizens, um, there's a lot that can be abused here. And we just have to keep oh a critical God. mind while we're all doing this together. I mean, the, the one uniquely comforting thought is that the entire world is going through this together. But I guess the discomforting yes. thought about that is that every other country seems to be doing more than us. <laughs> And this is the crazy thing, Abby, and I'll go into this a little bit later, but and not because they had um, more warning or not because they were taking it even more seriously than officials were here. It seems like America, there's a lot of evidence to suggest, just like the UK government, that on some level, they knew how serious this was going to be months ago mm-hmm. in January and they have literally chosen to make America a sacrifice zone. And by that, I mean literally allowing potentially millions of people to die to power through this in order to reactivate the economy. Yep. That's how dark this shit is. Yep. And the UK government, a document leaked about, I want to say three weeks ago, that said that their plan on dealing with coronavirus was just herd immunity. Which means letting the entire population get as infected as they possibly can to develop herd immunity as a way of dealing with it in the future. Holy shit. So that's horrible. But that actually seems like that's what direction things are going here now in the United States with Trump basically saying he wants everything back in action on Easter Sunday. Right, which is less than three weeks away, by the way. Yeah. And the lieutenant governor of Texas, Abby, going on Tucker and saying that he thinks all the grandparents in this country would uh, be perfectly willing to sacrifice their lives to save the economy for their children yeah, and their Yeah, Robbie, grandchildren. the new GOP policy is kill grandma and grandpa. Not even grandma and grandpa, our parents. Let's face this. It's you fucking know, Our parents nuts. for Wall Street stockholders and shareholders. That's who they want to fucking kill people for. It's revealing the true nature of the system. If you want to talk about how Tucker is a fascist or these people are on Fox or white nationalists, that's fine. But it's like, what do you, you know, and, and I agree with that, but it's like, what do you call them now that they're literally saying that we should sacrifice millions of people for the good of the economy? Like, what do you call them then? It's blatantly fascist, obviously. But it's like it's not it's not even remotely hyperbolic anymore mm-hmm. in any on any in any way to call those people fascist. It's blatant out in the open, craven, sociopathic fascism to a level I don't even think existed under the Bush administration. We didn't see people talking like that even back then. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. So why don't you get into some of this insider trading and foreknowledge? Because it's clear now that the elites and the 1% and all of these politicians knew, right? They knew the severity of what was coming. They planned for it. They cashed out months ago. Meanwhile, you had Trump denying mm-hmm. the existence of the virus itself. Com- oh, that which is super weird. Yeah. So why don't super, you bring super us weird. up to I mean, date on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, first, I guess we should just say that this somehow was a partisan issue. 
when it first like started really evolving in early late February, early March. It was like this was a dem hoax. Fox News kept saying Trump kept saying that. He even said the virus itself was a hoax at a rally and shit. So meanwhile, all while this is happening, while the Republicans are telling everyone it's a hoax, and the Republican like media channels are, all under the surface, what's happening behind the scenes during that time period is actual senators got briefed by an intelligence briefing in the Senate that the coronavirus, COVID-19, was going to become a global pandemic in this intelligence briefing on January 24th. So basically a month before I started freaking out about this, these senators, and I'll read their names, Richard Burr from North Carolina, James Inhofe from Oklahoma, and Diane Feinstein from California, all did massive stock sell-offs getting this information on January 24th, did some of the most egregious, obvious insider trading stock sell-offs, like anticipating an emergency like in history, like millions and millions of dollars, like blatantly linked to the timing of this briefing, totally just the most corrupt shit you've ever seen. And it's fine, Abby. They're not going to, nothing's going to happen to them. They're not going to go to jail. They're not going to even be protested against for doing this because guess what? We, we have to stay at our homes. So even if people wanted to bring pitchforks and torches to these people's doors for not warning the American people for two months while they were, they were cashing out, we can't because we can't protest right now because we're forced to stay indoors. It was quite a fucked up situation in a lot of ways. Oh, and guess what, Abby? The CEO of the New York Stock Exchange also used this inside knowledge to sell off a bunch of stock too. So the CEO of the stock market <laughs> is also doing insider trading based on a secret brief saying that COVID-19 is going to become a global pandemic. And then get this, Abby, Senator Loeffler, this guy who sold off all the stock, I, I never really heard about him before this, but guess how much money she's worth? How much? $500 million. It's just like a totally random senator that I've never even heard of wow. is worth $500 million. That's half of a billionaire. Like, what the fuck? These people should literally be in jail for doing this. They should be arrested. Egregious crime. But yet, you know, we when we hear of insider trading, we think of Martha Stewart. Right. And this is actually arguably one of the most egregious and offensive insider trading scandals that I've ever heard about, you know, of all time, possibly. One of the, you know, maybe besides the last time, maybe the Enron scandal. So this, this shit's just out of control. Just like 9-11, and this is actually much worse in some ways, I think we should be asking, what did top American officials or government people know, and when did they know it? If these people knew in late January that this is going to become a global pandemic and crash the stock market, what else, you know, who else knew this? Mm -hmm. So this was a question that was largely brushed off after 9-11 about, you know, what do they know and when do they know it? Because, you know, everyone wanted to be patriotic and rally behind the Bush administration. But it's extremely important to keep asking now for how long did high level U.S. government officials know this would become a global pandemic by the end of March? Just like this document said. It literally says in the document, Abby, and you can read it. I will include a link to this on the, do on the timeline. 
it literally says in the in this intelligence briefing that it was going to become a global pandemic exactly when it has. How many people knew about this and also just didn't warn people? And then on the, on the other hand, it's like, why is Trump in the right-wing media constantly just saying it's a hoax, even though senators were being briefed in January that this is going to become like a world-stopping event? It just, it's super crazy. Yeah, I mean, the, the World Health Organization, I think back in potentially even late December or early January, after China realized that they couldn't contain it, I mean, that's when international bodies had already declared this to be a potentially a global pandemic. So we're talking about like a three-month right, lead. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, I mean, it, it's just really scary because all these people were just looking to Trump for answers, and he was telling everyone it's just the flu. Oh, yeah. I mean, we already knew. I think the first indication that I had that this was going to be really serious is when I saw that the death toll had already like doubled the amount of death toll from SARS in like mm-hmm. way less time. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how come more people aren't talking about this specifically? That it's like the last hyped up pandemic was SARS. And this has already doubled the amount of deaths and like way faster. Like, why? Like, that's really scary to me. How come that's not being blasted out all over the media? to warn us. And then it just, then over the week after that, I'm sure you probably noted, but you were on vacation. So I don't mm-hmm. know how much you were paying attention to it. It started to escalate from there. Like once those, those numbers started coming out, then it started to slowly escalate. And then about a week after that, then the media was like, we are in a global pandemic. You know, it was like full on at that point. Well, before um, I left for vacation, the Seattle nursing home there was like a ton of deaths there but it seemed almost like it was contained there like a fluke yep and then yeah. when, and then when we were on vacation you told me about the cruise ships docked in oakland and i was like oh no um this is bad but i still just refused mm-hmm. to look at anything because i was still convincing myself that it was h- largely hyped up and then when we got back i realized it just hit me like a ton of bricks like oh this is our new reality this well, is... tell tell people exactly your experience coming. I mean, do you mind me, me no. saying where you were vacationing? Sure. So you were in Hawaii, yeah, and you were largely trying to avoid the media coverage about it, even though you already knew kind of what was going on. But when when was that moment when you first realized this was bad? It was on your way back to, uh, from you were going to the airport, right? You were making a pit stop. Yeah. So we made a pit stop at Walmart on the way to the airport. Um, trying to get some sanitization for the plane, you know, just trying to be safe. And we realized that every single thing was sold out. Um, the woman who worked there told us that they had just gotten a giant box shipment of hand sanitizer and some other person bought it out. And Mike and I were just like, why did you let them Fucking do that? Piece of shit. It's super yeah. weird that you don't have any protocols in place to prevent people from hoarding like this. And we just quickly realized that there was absolutely nothing left in terms of protection for sanitization. And so we went to the airport and it was just, um, it was just apocalyptic. I mean, not necessarily in Maui, but when we landed in LAX, it was like, it was really intense. Um, and I do not trust corporations, all of these people in masks, people, um, just, just hordes of people too, because I think everyone was trying to fly back. So the plane yeah. was packed to the brim. I, do not trust corporations. All of these emails that we're getting from every single corporation saying that they're taking extra precautions, they're sanitizing everything, they're providing their workers with masks and sanitary equipment. I don't believe that. I don't believe that these corporations are risking losing profits to do the right thing. And so I was terrified just in the plane. 
um, touching anything. All I had were like baby wipes that weren't germ resistant at all. And so I just was convinced that we got it at LAX because I was reading all these stories on the plane and when we landed about all of the cases being contracted there. But everything just hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, coming home coming home from the trip and realizing the pandemonium that existed, going to the grocery store, trying to get stocked up and realizing that just everything was sold out at that point already. And then we just casually walked by a gun store and saw the the panic there, you know, lines around the block. The and this, this was like, I mean, good God, this was like over two weeks, two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it so became you- really clear really quickly how scary this was and how scary it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, geez, what a what a weird time to be to go on like such a fun leisurely trip. Now know? they're detaining people then, for fourteen days mandatorily if you are flying into Hawaii. So we actually went at the perfect time. It was totally when you say separate. detaining. You mean yeah. they're just telling oh, you yeah, to yeah, self isolate, yeah. right? Yeah, but they're I not, think that they're forcing them to. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they're. Oh yeah, yeah, monitoring well, that. Yeah, well, there's penalties. Right. That's the part nobody's talking about. We'll go into that as what this means shelter in place. There are there are legally there are legal penalties for not sheltering in place. Mm-hmm. And that's for some reason not being discussed very much right now because they're hoping it's like honor system, like you'll just do what you're told, but there are there are actual penalties and we right. we should go into those later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but just psychologically, Abby, like what I mean, what was that like for you coming from such a beautiful place, you know, just enjoying your relaxation time to like this jarring reality of we are in a global pandemic <laughs> and like 9-11 fear levels, you know? I mean, it felt like the end of the world. It felt like that was our last gasp at anything that we were ever going to experience that was good Oh God, and fun. Sad. I mean, it was it, one good thing about it is that we completely were offline and because it's an island and it feel, I mean, mm-hmm. it should be a different country for many reasons, but because it feels like that, um, it was completely separate from any of the fear mongering. There was no one acting different whatsoever. I didn't hear one person talking about it. And so we just acted as if everything was wow. normal. Yeah. And to come back to now just being like in prison is just something really intense, but like I said before, yeah. it's it's something that day to day I feel differently. Today I feel okay, and I think other people can relate. It's like it depends on the day. I mean, one weird thing about coming back to LA was that it was pouring rain for like five or six days straight, which it never does. Usually it rains like maybe wow. half a day once a year <laughs> here. So it was something wow. really dark and ominous about just the weather as well and just never having the relief of even like being able to walk around. So it was, it's been a lot. How how about you? I mean, you were watching it unfold. You went to the Oakland dock and saw the cruise ships there and you kind of realized how bizarre it was unfolding. I think I started to watch the death counts and I started to hear the CDC officials say when it starts doubling every three days, that's very, very worrisome. And that's basically the models that we've predicted for like a global pandemic, like when it gets really serious mm-hmm. and can basically infect the whole world. So once I started seeing those numbers going up like globally and then started to climb to that level in the US, I mean, the Italy, I think actually was tracking Italy and seeing what was happening there and how just like the CDC and H, you know, WHO, all these virologists predicted that it was going to start doubling every three days. And once I started seeing that, just like they predicted, that's when I started to really freak out. 
realizing that some of those more alarmist predictions about this possibly killing as many people as the Spanish flu might actually be the real reality that we're facing. And once I started to lean into that dark reality, it was terrifying, it was stressful, exhausting, and now I just feel like that's the new reality we live in. And you just kind of almost have to get used to it and figure out a way to live inside that. Whatever happens next, this is our new reality now. It's just crazy to think about, but there is no going back. I guess, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. And hopefully some of these experts that I'm, you know, listening to are wrong too, that this doesn't kill one to 2% of the world's population. Because during the Spanish flu time period in 1918, that was only 20 million people or so. Now it's like 100 million people. That's how much the world population has grown. So there's no, I mean, that's to me one of the most horrifying things about this is nobody is ready psychologically to see that many people around the world dying in mass. That's a generational event. We've never lived through anything like that. You know, maybe our grandparents' World War II was kind of like that, but this is going to be way crazier if that many people die. And that's just something I don't even know if anybody has processed that yet, that this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. It is going to eventually get better. It's not going to be like the stand where this virus exists for the rest of time, you know, and everybody has to walk around in hazmat suits. But it's, I think it's pretty clear that it's going to have to get a lot worse before it gets better, not just in the U.S., but even globally. And, and all the countries have to work together. That's what I think people are missing. And all of these governors, these right-wing idiots across the U.S. that are refusing to shelter in place, and even Trump himself that refuses to implement any sort of national quarantine measures or shelter-in-place measures, that defeats the purpose. Then it's just up to states to quarantine themselves. It doesn't prevent people from traveling, spreading the virus. This is exactly how Italy got to where it is today. Italy has many different factors, including the elderly population, the fact that the elders interact much more with the youth there, the fact that everyone's kind of um, compacted together a lot more than the U.S. is. But Similarly, like if you look at the trends of when they implemented these measures, like they did it just a couple days or a week too late. And look at the U.S., even though states like California, New York, New York waited too long, too. But states like California implemented pretty drastic measures. It's like, what does it matter, though, if you have states like Florida and all these other states not doing that at all? People are still exactly. traveling yeah. freely. So that's what scares of me. Course. Another thing that scares me is the fact that the U.S. has the least amount of testing out of any single country in the world. They refuse to yeah. accept the um, World Health Organization's testing kits. And the unique state of, of the U.S., which is like a uniquely fucked country for so many reasons, the lack of health care, the lack of paid sick leave, the corporate capture of all of these industries, and like just the complete corruption that's so entrenched in the system that... Um, it seems really, really difficult to imagine it not becoming like Italy here. You look at Germany, for example, they have dramatically different mortality rates than Italy for many, many different reasons. They're, they're also testing abundantly. So their testing rates could even turn out to show that the mortality rate is not as high as we think because they're testing everyone which is something yes. that maybe is good, um, but it just is so unpredictable here. And I think that's what makes it so unsettling to live in the United States and in the heart of the empires, because you know our government doesn't give a fuck about its people. As you said, they've, they're openly talking about calling the herd to maintain profits. 
and the testing is so inadequate, we don't know what the fuck's going on. And and not just that too, but like, what about the tests themselves? And I'm not, you know, I don't want to get too like conspiratorial about this, but how do we, I mean, they're brand new. It's like, how do we know how many false positives or even false negatives come from mm-hmm. them? I mean, there are certain STD tests that doctors will even tell you you probably shouldn't even bother doing because they result in so many false positives. I mean, so these are like tests that have been around for 30 years in this country that still yield tons of false positives. And I mean, there's just so many factors that go into this. I mean, I'm, I wasn't conspiratorial about this at all mm-hmm. when it first started. Like, not at all. Like, I was just like, okay, got to get food. Got to think about, you know, is this going to be three months, six months? Like, I was just thinking very practically. Like, got to do these things. You know, got to help people not catch this. Got to warn people. You know, like on the last Media Roots episode, I'm glad I put that out when I did because it, I felt like it was maybe two days before the mainstream media started telling people to panic. So I hope I got some people, you know, Mike's podcast, um, the, the Eyes Left podcast, I hope that between the two of us that we actually help save some people's lives. So that was the main thing on my mind at the time. But now that this has gone on for the, the time period that it has, there are so many things to unpack here that are not like even crazy conspiratorial. They're just like really suspicious on their face. Not just this briefing, but this was something I kept hearing about like last month. And I was like, you know, that sounds kooky. Like, I don't care. And it also was something that QAnon people would gravitate towards sometimes is the stepping down of all these CEOs. Okay. Now, Business Insider actually says in an article from March 20th, 2020, that several notable executives have stepped down or announced that they're stepping down in 2020. In fact, January 2020 set a record for the most CEO departures in the U.S. in one month, 219 in all. That I'm sorry, but that cannot be a coincidence. That is the one of the sketchiest wow. things that I've ever read. Like, honestly, just, just now thinking about everything we've gone through, Abby, that is fucking crazy suspicious what did these motherfuckers know right what did some of these same motherfuckers these oligarchs and ceos of companies with doomsday bunkers know like piero midiar he's got a food bunker mm-hmm. like a tunnel dug under parts of hawaii to store food what did people like that know to anticipate something like this happening i mean they were all saying you know we're building these bunkers because what about like nuclear war you know blah 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 but like what were they actually worried about? You know, Bill Gates, who actually also just stepped down from Microsoft in January. What did what like what did they what were they worried about? Were they worried about something like this? I mean, was this is this why they're building bunkers? Here's an article from CNN uh, from last year: billionaire bunkers, how the one percent are preparing for the apocalypse. Here's another one from the New Yorker from 2017: doomsday prep for the super rich. Actually, here's another story from about two months ago where a guy in Canada, a millionaire uh, in Canada, a a multimillionaire is worth about $200 million, was actually trying to build a nuclear-resistant bunker underneath his house, and a laborer that he hired um, off Craigslist to help him build this tunnel died in an accident under his house, and he tried to cover it up and hid the body. Oh, shit. So this doomsday bunker thing for rich billionaires or multimillionaires is not a joke. This is a serious trend. And this is something that was like happening in mass in the last three years. What were they so worried about? 
Like, what did these people know? Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, they all conspired together and collaborated on launching a bioweapon across the world. I'm just saying that they didn't want to, they didn't like, the public didn't get this warning to freak out until like two weeks ago. These people seem to be freaking out three years ago. Well, I think that so, they like, knew it's just, something it's was coming. That's the thing. They had these people at like Davos and stuff. I mean, they have workshops literally talking about how they're going to deal with the plebs and all the poor when there is global unrest. It's like they, they know that that is an inevitability. You know what I mean? That is something that has been a constant state of discussion among the elites for years and years. So I think it's either the pandemic or like insurrection. I mean, they knew that it was like one or the other based on the precarious footing that the economy has put everyone in. It's so fascinating because yeah, insurrection global, using the phrase global unrest, I don't know if you just made that up on the spot, but that's a, a very good phrase because... Yeah, it's like if things were becoming so unstable and maybe all these billionaires on some level actually understood Marxism and understood that capitalism couldn't sustain itself mm-hmm. somehow. And that and and they knew as a result of that that whether it was because of an earth-shattering event like a pandemic or whatever that something eventually would cause global unrest yes. against the ruling classes worldwide. Okay? I mean, that, that really could have been what it came down to. And we already know that even the Pentagon, the U.S. government, was also preparing for that because the Intercept, remember that leaked video that came out from the Pentagon like three years ago that said, what are we going to, like they were basically saying what will happen when there's global unrest and like how will the military mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how will America keep its hegemony in that situation? Exactly. So yeah, this is all real. This is all, I mean... But but I think just going back to what I was saying originally, yes, it's crazy that all these CEOs and oligarchs have been building doomsday bunkers to prepare for probably what you're talking about. That sounds very likely to me. But I think it's very suspicious specifically about this pandemic, why they were all stepping down, oh, yeah, setting no, that's a world crazy. record, 219 in January of 2020. What do those motherfuckers yep. know? And what are they planning to do? Why are they stepping down? Are they stepping down because their corporations are going to implode during that? I mean, it's it just it raises a lot of questions. Yeah, why wouldn't they want to stay in and get all the cash bailouts that they know are coming right? from these alleged stimulus packages from the Fed? It's like, so exactly. what, what's going on there? Don't they want their bonuses? It's it's super. Uh, it, it needs a lot more investigation. Wow, for sure. And I think, unfortunately, even for me, I kind of did like a quick look at it and it was like nah that probably doesn't mean anything like a month ago because typically now what happens for me is like when i see something from zero hedge when i see something from a certain indie media website i have to i use the same skeptical eye on it that i do with mainstream media now like right, i don't of course. you know i used to maybe be like oh that's definitely real because it's an alternate narrative to the mainstream media but unfortunately zero hedge all these other outlets have really taken the bait on even like the anti-china neocon propaganda so it's hard to trust things they're saying but this is this is real this is all verified um people should look into this and and i think any serious journalist right now who's like investigates the ruling classes needs to look into what the hell they knew in january and why they all stepped down 
Yeah, and a lot of these CEOs are American. Uh, the majority of the richest corporations in the world are U.S. based. It's important to remember that. And like when we're talking about how the U.S. is so emblematic and the failures of capitalism and exposing these contradictions, it couldn't be any more apparent than during this global pandemic of how inefficient, insufficient our system is to care for people. And we're talking about estimates right now of 50,000 to half a million cases in the U.S. at this time, numbers looking like it's only going to grow from there. But again, we have no ability to even like comprehend or wrap our minds around what we're looking at, what the scale will be. The country's so spread out and vast um, that we're just dealing with things state to state. And I just can't comprehend it, Robbie. I mean, the fact that this woman who was uninsured is now facing $40,000 in medical debt and medical bills from just simply being treated for corona for three days in the ICU really gives an insight on what we're about to face. Because aside from the health crisis, aside from people dying and getting sick, the economic crisis and the unemployment rates and the people who are going to be destitute and poverty stricken after this is just like, it's hard to fathom. I mean, several of my friends have already lost their jobs um, you know, right now, even the bills that they're putting out, which we're going to get into later, once you talk about what Trump's done, these bills don't even cover 80% of the workforce. And so people are being forced to go to work. All of these people on the front lines being forced to be at pharmacies and healthcare professionals. I mean, they're wearing like garbage bags. Um, they're not provided equipment. They're being told even by giant rich corporations like Kaiser to reuse masks, um, until they're soiled. What is happening here? It really shows you we need an absolute system overhaul. And the price gouging from these medical companies, too, that are charging like seven to ten times higher for products that are essential to fight the virus, like masks, potential vaccines. They're simply not producing ventilators because they just can't turn a profit on them because hospitals can't afford them. And I guess this isn't surprising oh when you see that Goldman Sachs last year literally had a briefing where they posed to their shareholders that curing patients wasn't a sustainable business model. Remember that? We talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, I do. So, well, yeah. <laughs> this is all, it's, they're even, they're getting to the point now, and they have already gone to it, where they openly are talking about how America is a sacrifice zone. They're not using that wording, but that's what they're saying. They're okay with. The fact that America is that, that's what role it plays in the world in terms of the Western world. It's just now completely openly admitted to. Um, and that's just really disturbing to me. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to describe it any other way than some kind of form of fascism. And, and, and this is not to mention, and we, we're not going to have time to go into this on this episode, but there are so many examples right now of really dangerous things happening between the government and private companies. Um, the government, the U.S. government, the Trump administration has already partially merged with Google during this. I don't know if anybody realizes this, but Google is now helping the Trump administration specifically on issuing warnings, coalescing information on the Internet to distribute to people. And eventually they're already talking about all the Silicon Valley bigwig companies getting together and creating some kind of app to trace coronavirus and trace its infection. And if you have it, even maybe, uh, you will be identified in this app or database. Wow. Now, they are actually already using Google data to help the Pentagon, to help Homeland Security, and to help FEMA. This has already been announced by Google. 
they're already using our tracking data, Abby, GPS data, to see if social distancing is working. That's already happening. So that's just gone, you know, under the radar. That's already happening. It's going to get much worse. All the shit that people like to make fun of China for, of being crazy, authoritarian, or whatever people like to say China is, that's going to happen here, but on steroids. The things, you know, we're making fun of China, a drone flying in the air, telling people to stay inside. That's already happening here, idiots. Like, what did you think was going to happen? The difference is that China was able to flatten the curve. That's one thing, but they're also like helping provide solidarity efforts and emergency equipment for other countries. There's countries right now in Europe that are like flying the Chinese flag. You know, doctors and healthcare professionals are like realizing that Cuba, Venezuela, and China are leading the global solidarity effort to actually help people. Meanwhile, the U.S. is a death cult. So we're going to implement these authoritarian measures here, but in a cynical fashion to just continue to curb our civil liberties and we're not going to do anything good with it. <laughs> like it's, it's a really disturbing reality that we're going to be entering into giving like unprecedented amounts of power to the Trump administration who could potentially suspend the elections. I think he's going to my, I, I honestly th- but this is the weird thing. He's such a all over the place motherfucker, Abby, that right mm-hmm. now Trump is saying that two weeks from now, he wants right. to lift all the um, social distancing because he wants churches to be open again. Yeah. And see, because Easter's his favorite holiday, which, again, total lie. Trump doesn't give a fuck about Easter. He doesn't go to church. Some evangelical, like, televangelist who came and visited him in the White House probably whispered that in his ear. And that's why he's saying it. He's such just an empty vessel. It's just. And then the leaked internal report from the White House that the New York Times obtained shows that. Actually, internally, his own administration officials are saying they expect the crisis to last 18 months. Right. So it's like such a vast gap. It's like two weeks is what Trump's saying now, and his actual internal documents are saying 18 months. I mean, talk about mixed messaging. It's absolutely terrifying. Like, I'm leaning more towards the 18 months. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make anybody depressed or to scare anybody, but... Like, that's how long, actually, epidemiologists and these, you know, people have predicted that it would take to build herd immunity from a disease like this. So that's not even like a figure that, you know, is not being discussed anywhere else. It's actually a very, it's a figure that actually has a large consensus behind it. So that's what frightens me about it. But, yeah, you want to talk about um, how fucking Trump is probably going to be responsible for killing millions of people from what he's already done, even if he decides to keep the social distancing measures, you know, for the next few months. Yeah, because people are praising Trump, saying he's doing a good job. Uh, and his approval rating, of course, is going up because Joe Biden is such a bizarre weekend at Bernie's type walking, talking corpse who isn't showing any leadership at all. So Trump actually looks good, even though he's speaking nonsense. He denied the existence of the virus forever. He can, He claimed it was concocted by the Democrats to unseat him. Um, you have GOP officials saying it was a bioweapon by China. So bring us up to date on what Trump has done, and then I'll talk about what these bailouts are going to look like. Well, yeah, I mean, he was in complete denial about it at rallies, saying it was a dem hoax. I think I already mentioned that. Saying it was just like the flu. People, way more people die from the flu. And then even like in a in a little press appearance, he was basically told 
he like admitted that he had no idea that many people died from the flu. And he was like, wow, I was like really surprised. <laughs> what was really disturbing is Fox News specifically was echoing all of his talking points about how it was just like another impeachment hoax, even they were saying, that this was like another way to impeach Trump, that it was just like Russia Gate, it was just like Ukraine Gate, they were saying. And for two to three weeks straight, before a drastic PR turnaround from his administration, Fox News and all the right-wing media were saying it was a hoax. Um, don't listen to it. The Dems are just trying to get one over Trump, Abby. Even though in Italy, their death rights were doubling every three days. And trying, you know, like all this shit was happening in the world while they were saying all this stuff. And all the experts were saying this is going to hit America here, but probably even harder, actually, because we're less prepared. And the right-wing media was just still saying it was a hoax until this bizarre, it was actually one of his only presidential-like moments during his entire administration. He didn't make any jokes. He made like one joke about how he <laughs> deserves a 10 out of 10 rating for his handling of the crisis. Well, it wasn't a joke. He really believed it. But other than that, he stayed on script. He said actually mostly the right things. He finally acted like it was really serious. Um, he didn't tell America it's going to get better soon and it's going to go away. He actually, like, w the gravity of his speech was really surprising. And I remember even mom and I discussed it afterwards, like, wow, this is really extremely unusual for Trump. Like, what the hell is going on here? Right. Like, was he finally acting normal? Like, what? And then he just totally falls back into the abyss of, like, partisan dumb shittery like, all his sons are talking about on Twitter now is how the media is now trying to go after him again and how it's unfair and how it's all fake news. So just that one little brief moment press conference he had was the only normal moment. But now the right-wing media is back to, like, trying to even not say it's a hoax anymore, but trying to downplay it a lot now still. So, that like, now that Trump has sort of reverted back to trying to downplay it, and saying he wants everything to go back to normal in two weeks, which is absolutely ridiculous considering that it's going to be peaking here in the terms of deaths and infections by May or June. Right. It's just absolutely ridiculous that now the right-wing media is just kind of, yeah, this is fine. Like, like, we don't need to change our way of life this much for this. Like, we should go back and shit like that. Do you think that he's doing this because he's just terrified of running for re-election because he's obsessed with the economy and he's just writing on the fact that the economy was doing well and everyone would even give him credit for that. Like even like anchors on MSNBC and stuff would I just think be like, so. "Well, the economy's doing well." So is he so terrified about the economy that he's willing to risk millions of people dying just so he can have a quote-unquote good economy during the election? That's a really good point. I think that in a weird way, that is one of the only sustainable things that he can point to that's like proven that he can t act like he deserves credit for. And because it's one of the promises he made and stuff, it's like one of his strongest mm -hmm. talking points. So I think that you that you that that is probably what's going on because he is so... The, his ego is so important to him. However, he did say in one of the GOP debates, oddly, that he would never let anyone die in the streets. Oh, yeah. That he like had this weird humanitarian outburst, which didn't seem like it was coming necessarily even out of ego. It was a strange moment where he actually endorses the concept of universal health care. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what he really believes underneath. I mean, you would think right now would be his moment to look good 
and to do whatever is necessary to save as many lives as possible. And if he wants to act like he's fighting a war and strut around and say he's a wartime president, like he is saying, then, then fine. I mean, that would actually be, that would be the best possible outcome is if he used, if he used his ego to motivate himself to try to look good by saving the most lives as possible. And it seems like on some level, Abby, he's just given up on that. And that's really odd. And I do think you're probably right. It probably is just watching the little stock market, the the Dow Jones Industrial Average number. And as long as that just keeps going up, that's what's most important. Well, it's hard for him to... And the unemployment numbers too. Mm-hmm. Right. He doesn't want those right. to go up too high because those will go up very high and cause like a great, like it's going to be economically really devastating if that happens. He wants to force people to go back to work. Well, him saving as many lives as possible would be just be in direct contradiction with what his entire administration's policies are economically. And that's what they're so terrified of. You know, like seriously, it would require massive wealth redistribution. And that's what they're absolutely like abhorred by that's why bernie was shit on as much as he was i mean he was proposing really mediocre changes uh back to like what fdr did in the new deal but even that was just so far beyond the pale of what capitalists in the u.s are willing to extend it's really what europeans have taken for granted like their entire lives i mean simple basic rights health care is a human right you know sick leave all of these things, but we can't have those things. And if they did, if Trump really was interested in saving the most amount of lives as possible, he would need to like immediately nationalize the pharmaceutical industry, not allow this price gouging, um, allow some sort of nationalized healthcare system to go into immediate effect, and also do UBI, direct cash payouts to every single household in America, as well as rent and mortgage freezes. These people cannot allow that. But really, like everything that Bernie was proposing is something that needs to be taken in emergency fashion, like urgently, in order to prevent some sort of giant collapse. But like that's that's what's so interesting about this whole contradictory system is like they can't allow that to happen because they can't lose the money. And so they're willing to just let the entire country fall apart. Not economically, but right. like in terms of deaths and just yeah, people's and just, families and just people, being traumatized. Yeah, like, like and, homelessness and, and people who are yeah. just out on the streets and without jobs oh, yeah. and, you know, left behind. Silver lining, you know, there's some good news coming out right now like that. It seems like in the Bay Area, new cases reported every day are already starting to go down where I live. You know, we instituted a shelter in place, quote unquote, order like want to say like 16 days ago, 15 yeah. days ago, 17 days ago, maybe. And that's way ahead of the rest of the country. But the, but the terrible news is that in terms of cumulative cases reported, the United States has actually the scariest, most accelerated slanted curve on the graph of any other country. Like we are poised in terms of cases, reported cases of COVID to have possibly the highest amount in the world. Oh my god. And very soon. Yeah, it's it's getting absolutely nuts. We're only 10 days or so behind Italy. Um but they already started to tilt their curve, not flatten it, but tilt right. it. Um you know, maybe I want to say like 10 days ago, it already started to turn in a better direction. Uh it, USA is not looking good. It's looking really really scary. 
So I don't understand how people are even going to be able to work. Were they just going to have to work while dead bodies are piling up all around them and the hospitals are just jammed up everywhere? That's the type of environment they for morale they want to lift the economy up in? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the plan now, like everyone's been kind of waiting, seeing what are they going to do because we need direct cash payouts right now. We can't work. The unemployment websites are crashing. It's projected that it's going to be higher than the Great Depression, which was 25%. They're looking at 30% or higher today. So, of course, you would imagine that, you know, where's Nancy Pelosi? Where's Chuck Schumer? They're obviously going to push something through to alleviate the suffering and to help people right now right now who are stuck at home and being told that they actually can't work, right, by their governors. Um, false. The best that they've done so far is say that every person will get $1,200 in a one-time payout sometime in May. Sometime in May. And they're toying with the idea of like, okay, we're not going to let utilities shut off and we're doing eviction freezes, like Trump said. But what good is that if you have to have rent piled up and you're not making money, how are you going to just wait to pay all of this at once in two months with just a $1,200 payout? And that's not even talking about this $2 trillion corporate bailout and like that $1.5 trillion immediate injection in Wall Street. This is completely separate from that. This is like supposed to be the that's big make, relief to people. Yeah, it's, it's like three times. The thing about it this way, I was just talking to Whitney Webb about this, and I think I don't remember and I don't even know if this is accurate, but she was like, didn't people, wasn't Occupy a response to something that was like one third the amount of corporate bailout they're talking about doing now? I mean, so then people aren't going to be like, what's going to happen if they do literally three times that corporate bailout that created the reaction of Occupy now when people aren't even allowed to protest? Exactly. Like we're all going to be stuck home and they're going to give possibly the biggest corporate bailout in history. I mean, that'll be really nuts. I think just think about that, you know, no civil disobedience, no protests because you, you're not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, there was massive like, wow. encampments. There was nationwide general strikes. There was uh, protests everywhere for months and months and months that were sustained after just banks were bailed out, right? This is every, this yeah. is like literally every industry, including the Mars candy bar industry, cruise ships, airliners. I got to get those Milky Ways, babe. I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to go without my candy, dude. Got to inject that chocolate in my veins, candy. dog. Um, yeah. Are they going to force Mars candy or like uh, the, the candy companies to build like medical equipment? <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking crazy, Self-dissolving chlorinique, edible uh, tablets of chlorinique <laughs> that taste like M&Ms. <laughs> um, it's, it's nuts, too, because... Even like the personal payouts that they're talking about, it's like the if you have more money, you get more money, which should be the opposite of what <laughs> like do rich people not understand how the economy works? It's like if you are making less than thirty thousand dollars and you're like a household of four, you need more money because that twelve hundred dollars is gonna go in the flick of a switch to your rent and like all like what about healthcare? You know, but if you're making over one hundred fifty thousand, then you get exponentially more money. So it's just, again, more payouts for people who already can afford to sustain the crisis more than people who are down and out. Um, these bailouts and injections for corporations are happening like on the daily now. 
According to The Hill, it says among the opportunities in this $2 trillion corporate bailout, $500 billion in business, quote unquote, loans from the U.S. Treasury, which means we're paying for that. $70 billion is earmarked for airlines and their suppliers, which is also defense companies like Boeing, GE. Airliners are especially disgusting here because they have already spent more than 95% of their free cash flow on stock buybacks. And that money was just completely wasted. So now they're asking for another giant bailout. Not to mention like cruise ships. It's like, I don't give a flying fuck if cruise ships go under. Maybe it's time. They're just moving Petri dishes. Like this just keeps happening over and over again. Like first the Carnival cruise shit. Now the Princess cruise lines. It's like, dude, just let them go under. We don't need cruises. Sorry. We don't need to bail out cruise ships. And then this is on top of, as I mentioned before, the injection directly into the stock market just to prevent stocks from falling. And now the Federal Reserve is offering a trillion dollars of loans per day to banks per day. But it also shows you that the government can afford whatever it wants, anytime it wants, if anything is remotely deemed serious. Money is not tied to reality at all. (sighs) Dude, I just, I have to read this to you because it just came in like, uh, I didn't, I mean, it's from 10 hours ago, but I just saw this. Um, Trump is responding to Mitt Romney's negative coronavirus test. (laughs) He says, this is really great news. I am so happy I can barely speak. He may have been a terrible presidential candidate and an even worse U.S. (laughs) Senator, but he is a rhino and I like him a lot. I mean, this is the guy who's in charge of like literally saving or killing millions of people right now. Oh this my is god! Really bad. Oh my we're god! Fu- we're fucked. I know you, you think, have Trump acting like he's a- on drugs, and then Joe Biden with clear dementia. It's like pick your fucking poison. Oh my god, dude, we're so fucked. We, I mean, even like Boris Johnson is probably like ten times more competent of a leader than <laughs> Trump is. Like. It's just really revealing how fucking fucked America is. Well, none of these people need to um, do anything that they're telling people to do. You know, they live in giant mansions, like all these celebrities and all these rich people who are like, okay, um, you know, we should just risk millions of people dying to save the economy. It's like, you don't need to interact with people. You don't need to work. You, you could just stay in your mansion, dude. Like, you're not going to be out there risking your life. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the people and the people who are in a lot of these mansions are, you know, right wing elites. Yep. You know, everyone, you know, like the Trump era, like has fooled everyone into thinking that like every elite's a liberal or something (laughs) or they're like left or like what? It's like, what? Do you not understand how capitalism works and how what how it makes people think? Um, So like the Federalist, this right wing media outlet that Glenn Greenwald used to praise because they got Russiagate right. You know, they're one of the ones that kept getting Russiagate right. They literally put out a story today saying how medical chicken pox parties could turn the tide of Wuhan virus. They're still calling it Wuhan virus, okay? Well, Which wait, is to neocon like, to like encourage language. the herd immunity thing? They're they encouraging saying? infections, a.k.a. sacrifice zone. They're literally saying... Well, here's what the headline is. It's time to think outside the box and seriously consider a somewhat unconventional approach to COVID-19 <laughs> controlled voluntary infection. And what? what's crazy about this, the flip side of this is Twitter 
is actually policing now tweets and information that's d- dangerous disinformation about COVID-19. They banned the Federalist tweets Ooh. about this. They already took them offline. Wow. Um, so very fascinating. And uh, yeah, it's just, um, that's sort of what the right-wing media is encouraging right now. So even though the right-wing media, like, a week and a half ago was like, now this is serious. We got to take this seriously, blah, blah, blah. Now they're like reverting back to. Yeah. Well, as you said, they're dealing with the stages of grief themselves. So they're now just going back to the denial phase. That's absolutely right. I think it's a similar thing to the liberals going back to the denial uh, stage. It's like the initial shock maybe was so shocking for people. Uh, when they learned about how serious this was, that I do think that that's the stage of grief that they're still in, is the denial stage. Um, I'm like in the, uh, I don't know what stage, what are the stages of grief? Do you remember them? No, I don't. What is it? I don't know. Yeah, we should look that up. Look that shit I'm going to look it up right now, but continue to talk and I'll tell you what stage I'm in right now and then you can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go. Well, it's just really interesting too because a lot, a lot, a lot of people, even though a lot of my friends and and allies are taking this seriously and doing the right thing by social distancing and, you know, sacrificing their quote unquote freedom for the collective good. There are a lot of people not taking it seriously, just being super callous about it and also thinking that it's a complete hoax. Even Alex Jones isn't calling it like made up though. He's saying that it's like a concocted bioweapon to unseat Trump, right? Didn't you say that? Yeah, which... Well, yeah, which is interesting because I think that that is the main theory. I Even if people aren't overtly saying this, you know how I've been saying for like the last year that some of these sort of journalists that really got into Russiagate, at a certain point, they, they are, some of their narratives were actually echoing the flavor of QAnon. And they like, without realizing it perhaps, is like the right-wing media at large started to actually echo QAnon narratives. So I genuinely believe on some level, Abby, even if they don't say it overtly, a lot of these people do think still that this is some kind of trick or hoax to unseat Trump. And I think that the reason that they're mainly being fueled by that belief still is because this was maybe the first time ever that Trump has gotten on board with like an international push or consensus or something and like did what he was supposed to do. But now he's like not doing that anymore. Like, I could almost understand in some crazy way, like, why those people have gotten that into their head. Mm-hmm. And be, and also because this, this, is, this is a global event. It's like Trump can't do the nationalist thing anymore, almost, right now. Or if he does, he just looks like a callous piece of shit. Like, he, on some level, he even knows that that's what's going on. You know, he can't just say we only need to take care of us here. Like, fuck it. You know, like his typical nationalist, nationalism shtick is not effective right now. What is QAnon saying about this? Because you showed me that video of some crazy woman ranting and raving about how this is all, of course, praising Trump, right? Trump's arresting the pedophile rings around the world. But how does this relate to the virus? Dude, it's, it gets so dumb and so deep. Basically a lot of these QAnon people have gotten it into their heads for the last couple of years that 5G is a Chinese conspiracy to mind control us or to do something using electronic waves, like radio waves. Now, there is some actual data to suggest that we don't know what happens to humans and the environment when we expose it to the same, to massive amounts of those wavelengths being blasted into the air with whatever 5G travels on. 
So there is some like, concern about we don't know what that does. That's real. But for some reason, QAnon people and these like right wing conspiracy people think it's like a ChaiCom, you know, like Chinese conspiracy, mm-hmm. New World Order conspiracy, because they in their minds, they think like it's China collaborating with all these other elites against Trump. And that's been their narrative for years. Alex Jones's narrative is that that it's Chinese, you know, with the New World Order versus Trump, and the and the deep state is all part of that too. The deep state's with China and whatever. Good God! So, so yeah, it's dude, it's crazy. So that's what's been they've been putting out for like years. But the straight up like QAnon people are now actually putting out stuff and believing. And I don't actually know if QAnon literally is posting this. But for some reason, all the followers are believing a variation of the various narratives I'm about to read off to you. That the virus is fake and or a live drill to fool the public while the secret, quote unquote, patriots who make up Q go around and arrest all the deep state pedo elites. Now, the other version of that theory is that celebrities like Tom Hanks getting coronavirus is actually a secret execution because Tom Hanks is a pedo elite. And then at the end of all this, Abby, they're going to reveal that he actually got coronavirus as a secret execution by the Patriots and that we needed to like hide it and pretend it was coronavirus at first. What? Uh, and then also Oprah and Ellen, Abby, in the QAnon narrative, some of the narrative floating around right now, have already been secretly arrested for being pedo elites. And both of them, in real life, Oprah and Ellen have actually had to put out statements already denying what QAnon is accusing them of being. Because that's how viral some of these narratives got. Oprah actually had to make a public post saying she doesn't understand where this stuff is coming from. She's not on house arrest. She's just self-isolating like everyone else. She hasn't been arrested. She's still alive. Um, Dude, it's fucking nuts. Oh my God. Here's the scary thing though. Now I'm actually starting to realize that I do have some humanity left in me and empathy for these people that I'm like actually genuinely concerned, Abby, that people who believe in QAnon and their families will actually die as a result of being so distracted. Their obsession with deep state pedophiles could get themselves and their families killed by not taking this seriously. And that's actually like really worrisome to me right now. Makes me very sad actually to think about. I still can't. I, it doesn't even make any sense. I mean, that's the sad thing. It's like people are so. But I've had real people in real life send this shit to me. Yeah. yeah, I've had real like not like this is a real thing that people believe. I mean, it's it's not just a joke you see on the internet. I have had people I know send it to me in earnest. Well, and it shows you how how much it's being pumped out there. If people like Oprah have to actually make an official response to it, I mean, it is not fringe. It isn't. Oh no. Not anymore. No. I mean, I mean, all these right-wing media network, like Tucker, Sean Hannity, a lot of the people who watch that stuff also believe in QAnon. I mean, there's a lot of crossover there, too. Are you serious? Um, but, They've talked about it and oh, said, yeah. what do you mean? Well, no, no, they haven't, they haven't directly promoted it, but I mean, like Matt Gates, Abby, the congressman who just went on Tucker's show last night to talk about the Chinese threat with a giant red flag behind it and this graphic, this neocon bullshit Tucker's program is putting out now. Matt Gates is a Q and honor. Wow. A lot of these people in high level positions in the media, you saw that one of the people Fox News was going to take on as a broadcaster actually talked about how he believes um he said something about how 
God damn it, what was it? Not Hillary Clinton being a demon, but something that was like straight out of <laughs> QAnon on his own radio show. Do you remember that? We were talking about that a few no, months ago. No, but I guess it's not too surprising when you see the social media summit. I mean, all these things are so crazy we tend to forget, but Trump legitimized so many QAnon people at that social media summit. Look at Joy Villa, oh, Mark yeah. Dice, all of those oh, people, God. you know? I mean, they're all QAnon Lionel. believers. Lionel, dude. Yeah, Lionel. No, the shit is is totally ridiculous. And, you know, we haven't really even talked about the fact that the Trump administration is inserting the Chinese virus neocon propaganda in there. But, I don't know, do you want to go into some of the conspiracies of, like, what the Chinese government and the Iranian government are saying about this? Yeah, well, let's get into foreign policy in general, and we can get into the conspiracies as we're talking about these countries. Because you're going to do an entire okay. solo episode about specifically breaking down all of the um, xenophobia and anti-China rhetoric and who's behind it and what's behind it and all of that. And so I'm really looking forward to that just because it's way too much for this podcast. Um, but you're seeing think pieces everywhere, just essentially blaming the Chinese Communist Party for the spread of the virus. That China spread, purposefully spread disinformation about the virus as like a weapon you even saw who I thought was a progressive until now, Matt Stoller, um, saying that this was a war crime and that China is the most dangerous regime on the planet. People like Josh Rogan saying, don't blame China, blame the Chinese Communist Party. You see what Sam Harris said about it? He said, this is, this is a China attacked us with a bioweapon. But he didn't. But he said it was a bioterror attack by China from their wet markets. He didn't say it was like a bio, literal bioweapon. But he used that rhetoric, like these dirty Chinese, you know, they attacked us from their fucking filthy wet market as a, they're a terrorist attack on us. From their like wet us market. infected with this virus. Just like that senator yeah. was like, they eat bats and dogs. Of course, they're dirty and they're going to spread this shit to us. Worst case scenario. Well, wait, no, wait, really quick. Wet market. Just the, the term wet market. You remember during the Ebola outbreak, what was the term that the media kept saying? Bush meat. These Africans oh, eat wow. bush meat. Wet market. Sounds kind of similar, doesn't it? Yep. Sounds kind of like these people cut people's heads off. What do you mean by that? <laughs> what kind of coded language is that? Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, right. They eat I dogs mean, and uh, bats. Yeah. Go ahead. Though. I mean, I, let's just assume the worst case scenario and let's actually just pretend like it's true that China hid information, even though we know that within three weeks they were already in talks with the World Health Organization to talk about how they couldn't contain it and that this was deemed a global pandemic that could get out of control. Let's just assume what the U.S. is saying is true. Trump did the exact same thing. Oh, even worse. Yeah. I would say from what we know, it's worse because we had more warning. Yeah, than China right. Did. Exactly. So like, so that it makes it worse. And then the fact that there's all these other things too, that the media is not talking about here because we'd rather talk about China hiding things. Um, but it's a fact. This is an absolute fact that in Seattle, there was a flu swab study, mass study being done where a lab was hired to take like a, a survey of all the people who had tested positive for the flu. And they had tons of samples. And on their own, during all this, like when the news started to get out that the COVID-19 had gone out of China, this lab thought, hey, why don't we also test all these flu swabs for COVID-19 too? And the CDC told them not to say mm. anything once they started finding all these results. 
and the CDC sat on the information for from what the story says over a week, and the place finally actually blew the whistle and went out with the information themselves. Wow. So that's how we learned about that rest home and how all those people um, died and got infected with oh COVID-19. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So it's like yep. a massive cover-up, like the Flint thing. Cool. Oh, absolutely. Massive. Well, so, such an important part of the cover-up because it was would have given us like a week lead time. You know, oh my even God. just a week would have saved possibly thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of lives. We don't know yet how bad this is going to get. And so let's look at what China's doing now. And you can talk about the accusations coming from China versus the U.S. about the bioweapon stuff. But China today has curbed the virus. There's barely any new cases coming in all across China. We're talking about a billion people. Um, and in fact, while the U.S. corporations are saying they can't sell ventilators at profit and that is it really a sustainable business model to let people be cured from the coronavirus. Meanwhile, you have China actually supplying millions of face masks, thousands, tens of thousands of protective suits, pulmonary ventilators, tens of thousands of them. They're going around to all of the world's nations of course, other than the U.S. Meanwhile, the U.S. is fomenting war against them and using the crisis as an opportunity to increase hostilities against China. But China is doing this all across Europe, providing equipment for all of these countries. And you have like whatever countries are adhering to the U.S. sanctions and the trade war and shit, they're like intercepting these shipments and a lot of them are getting stolen. Um, China's trying to streamline these deliveries to all of these countries and just saying they are totally standing with them. They're standing in solidarity and they're there to help with whatever countries need. Um, and the countries that are allied with the U.S. are trying to prevent that from happening and thwarting the shipments. You saw some huge shipment in Ukraine on its way to Italy get stolen, like for the black market yeah. of all these face masks and stuff. So it's just unbelievable. Again, like this is this is revealing a new world order, not in the way that Alex Jones says, but like a way that you see capitalism versus socialism. What the priorities mm -hmm. of these countries are that are deemed enemy countries of the U.S. What is Cuba doing? What is China doing? What is Venezuela doing as a reaction to this crisis? Compare that to what the U.S. is doing to exploit and aggravate the situation um, and just fail abysmally on all fronts. You know, we, we can get into what's happening in Iran, which is absolutely Nazi-esque and genocidal. But it's just so interesting and such a stark contrast when you see something that the entire world is suffering together and the need for everyone to act together in solidarity. And you see what countries do in response. And the countries that we're told are our enemies are the ones that are doing the right thing. You know, I think a lot of people are getting distracted. It's not because the Trump administration is has so much connections to white nationalism and racism, why you keep hearing people from his administration keep saying Chinese virus. It, that's not, I don't think that's the primary thing that's driving it, even though that's what everybody's sort of fixating on is how racist it sounds. I think what's driving it is what you just talked about. We don't want to, we want to blame it on someone else because of how terrible and blatantly we dropped the ball on this. Mm -hmm. You know, that's putting it mildly, actually. So that's w number one. Number two, you know, you've got to believe there are neocons and war makers and people who've wanted to do the adversarial pivot towards China militarily, economically, whatever, for decades, who are going to use this crisis to go after China. 
you know, this is like the rhetoric that the neocons used to say. You know, these radical Islamists attacked us on 9-11 and now we need to like retaliate against terrorism across the world and stop it across the world. This is more like China destroyed the world and we need to stop them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like that's how serious they can exploit this. Like they can fucking, yeah. like that's not, like it's that big of a deal. Right. This is like a slow motion 9-11 where apparently the worst is going to hit us in a month and a half. Like buckle up if it's actually going to be that bad because it's going to get fucking scary and they're going to exploit that fear. What's going to happen when people even get more afraid when it spreads around more when the numbers spike more? I mean, the fear is going to go up too. And the more fear, the more of a right climate there is to exploit that. But it's going to be used also to just obfuscate our role in this and be like, no, it's all China's mm -hmm. fault. We did everything we could. Fuck China. It's that, so it's going to be used to like shift the blame away and make it seem like we did everything fine, even though Trump and his administration are going to be responsible for possibly killing millions. I mean, the people who remembered what happened will know that. It's not going to, no rebranding in the world is going to change that shit. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the new Cold War that we need to be fighting against right now, and it's going to be really hard to fight against this wave of propaganda that essentially has a bipartisan consensus from the neoliberal blob machine, all of these corporate media think pieces that are condemning China and blaming China essentially for this, even if it's not as overtly racist as what the Trump administration is saying. And this is what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis right now. And it's really, really important to combat this and dissect it because it's completely false. We're in a global community. It's really, really unfair to label this the Chinese virus or whatever the fuck they're saying. Just like the Spanish flu, the only reason it was called the Spanish flu is because of our censorship. Europe censorship, Spain was a neutral country in the war. And so it was the first country to actually report honestly when it was happening in 1918. And so people just deemed it the Spanish flu because that was the country that finally was honest about what was happening. U.S. specifically censored it mm -hmm. and waited for it to get to, to actually get to Spain. And then that's when that labeling started to come out. And then also West Nile virus came from here. The swine flu came from here. It's a lie that it came from Mexico. This shit's not, it's not conspiracy. It's all documented. Yeah, when we have like multinational corporations and a global agricultural system that operates in the way that it does, of course this shit's going to say it doesn't matter where it comes from. You know what I mean? It's just, it's so disgusting what's happening and how these people are playing into it so easily. Talk briefly about the bioweapon accusations and then I want to talk about what these other countries are doing that just put the U.S. to shame. Well, yeah. So, I mean, sadly, one of the saddest things was that was happening and is still happening is a lot of Iranian people died from this and got infected. It hit Iran really hard, hit China really hard. So just off the bat, you know, my initial antenna were sort of like, that's sort of bizarre that it would hit those two countries the hardest at first. Then it started to go across the whole world. So at that point, I started to distance myself away from that, you know, belief. But what happened was really early on into this, Abby, I think even as early as maybe late January, um, uh, the uh, U.S. Senator Tom Cotton, who we know is sort of a neocon vessel like Marco Rubio, was coming out and saying that he believed this was a Chinese bioweapon from the Wuhan virus lab. <laughs> now, 
even Zero Hedge picked that up and started to push that shit. And I was like, why are they spreading this neocon bullshit? Because obviously some neocon, somebody was telling Tom Cotton to say that. He wasn't doing that on his own. So it really upset me because I was like, that's a really dangerous thing to be saying. You know, it's very like, that's a very like truthery thing to be saying, you know. But we, uh, as we always know, the neocons are actually very good at weaving conspiracy theories. They're very good at it. They're actually experts at it. So... This is what was said first here in our country, is that it was a Chinese bioweapon. Then um, Whitney Webb actually informed me that Radio Free Asia put out a story in January also accusing the Wuhan lab of releasing a bioweapon. Wow. So our State Department-funded media outlet, Radio Free Asia, and neocon senator, U.S. senator, were both saying that it was a Chinese bioweapon in January. Now, it wasn't until February... But a couple of weeks after that, that a Chinese government official came out and said, check out this article he did on social media. It seems like it was actually in the United States first. It didn't originate in China. He posted a global research article. Now, you and I just appeared on Global Research's podcast a couple of months ago. It's a pretty good website. Not everything they put out I agree with, but it's generally pretty good. This website, Global Research, is now being fixated on by people like securing democracy, neocon think tanks, different sus people that we, you know, like to we've seen operate on Twitter for a long time, Abby. And they're honing in on it, saying that now global research is part of the Chinese government propaganda disinformation campaign. But global research wasn't necessarily even quoting any Chinese officials or anything like that. They were actually pulling information from a lot of other different sources, including from Francis Boyle, a guy who actually helped write the U.S. Bioweapons Treaty, a former government person himself, who actually delved really deep into the 2001 anthrax attacks and thinks that was suspicious. But basically, the Chinese government was just posting an article from Global Research. Then after that, the people from the Iranian government started to say they thought this was a U.S. bio attack on them. Ahmadinejad on Twitter was saying it seemed like a U.S. bio attack. But then I started to see this funny group of leftists online, like actual self-identified leftists, uh, saying that China's authoritarianism is actually, now that China is spreading fash or fascist talking points, because global research, they believe, is a fascist website. And that they think Iran and China are spreading fascist talking points um, because I guess they think that th certain things global research has talked about in the past make them fascist. So that's where they're going with it. Um, but there's all these weird leftists out there who all they talk about is China's authoritarianism who are just still bashing China during this. And they're not talking at all about how the U.S. dropped the ball. They're not criticizing the capitalistic you know, environment in the U.S. at all right now. They'd rather talk about China. So I, I'm just very suspicious of why all those people are talking about China so much right now. And then just totally poo-pooing that theory when it's like, last time I checked, Global Research was not a fascist website. I, I have a pretty keen eye for that kind of stuff, and I have never seen anything on there that was like that. So it's just ridiculous, the kind of shit you're seeing right now. I honestly think the verdict's out on if this was somehow man-made. We've had it beaten into our heads since this happened, that it was from a wet market in China. Oh, that's because they mix all these different species together. Of course that was going to happen eventually. It wasn't just a matter of if, it was when this was going to happen from those wet markets in China. It's like, what are you talking about? This shit does not ring true to me. 
And I'm I'm going to wait for the verdict to come in. I want to wait for actual investigations to be done to figure out what the fuck this thing was. I'm not going to listen to people who only a month into this were saying they knew exactly where it came from. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I think just like 9-11 or anything else, we need to wait for serious investigations to be done to actually figure out what the hell this was and what happened. Well, so that's where my my head's sort of at well, with it right now. Well, whatever it was and wherever it came from, it's backfired on the perpetrator because it's infecting exactly. the entire fucking world. By the that, way, exactly. have you looked up the stages of grief yet? Because a lot of these people that you're talking yes. about, I feel like have reached a full psychotic break. The first stage is denial, isolation. Second stage is anger. Third stage is bargaining, which is kind of a specific one. It's mm-hmm. stuff like if we had only su- sought medical mm-hmm. attention mm-hmm. sooner, if we had only second opinion from another doctor. Fourth is depression. Fifth is acceptance. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm already at maybe four or five. I don't know, but <laughs> w- w- where are you? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, like I said, it goes in waves, but I feel like I've pretty much accepted and I'm just dealing with now day-to-day stuff, but I feel like the day-to-day stuff could bring other stages of grief, you know? For like sure, if, yeah. But I mean, people really have reached full psychotic neuroses uh, to the extent that I've never seen before. Like I saw someone saying, and I'm talking about like a progressive commentator who I literally thought was like a Bernie surrogate for the longest time. I saw him saying that Elon Musk buying face masks from China means that he's an agent for the Communist Party, for the regime of China. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that tweet was a troll or what. And you have to also understand some of these people, you know, a lot of these people are also in self-isolation too. So their tweets are going to (laughs) get wackier. But Matt Stoller was putting out pure neocon flavored anti-China xenophobia like days before that too. So... Could be real, could be a troll. I don't fucking know at this point. Right. I mean, yeah, that's what it's hard to tell, you know? And a lot of these people are also, and I'm not talking about him specifically, but a lot of the people who are just constantly bemoaning about China's authoritarianism are also the people like um, Murtaza Hussein, who constantly want to talk about Iranian imperialism. And every time you're talking about what's going on in Iraq right now and what's going on in Iran, it's like there's zero sympathy or discussion about the genocidal sanctions that are in place from the U.S. government and how there's an actual maximum pressure campaign being escalated, like purposeful suffocation and isolation of Iran during the crisis, during their suffering of the global pandemic, without medical equipment, without supplies that are necessary, Um, again, intercepting all these shipments to them, preventing them from selling oil to try to get money to deal with this. You see just constantly talking about the ineptitude of the of the Iranian government to deal with this how they're they're lying too, Robbie they're lying to everyone just like China uh it's disgusting it's absolutely disgusting Iran is the worst hit middle eastern nation the death toll this is probably even more i i collected these numbers 2 days ago probably well over 1500 today because they said one person is dying every 10 minutes 50 become infected every hour in iran in iran deaths i'll look it up while you're talking and trump is increasing these sanctions i talk about this often but i think it needs to be talked about again that every president before trump probably put around 100 sanctions on iran obama eliminated them with the nuclear deal trump has put 800 800 sanctions on iran imposing fresh sanctions on Iran 
during the pandemic. Un- he wants people to die. It's murder. Unconscionable. It is murder. This is like like you said in the last podcast. This is the this is the intent of sanctions. It's not just yeah, of course. It's not hyperbolic to say sanctions yeah. are war, sanctions are murder. This is like literally what they hope for. They hope for something breaking yeah. out into a country where sanctions will prevent and cause like mass scale suffering and death. So then they could just be like, well, you should have capitulated. You should have bowed down to the U.S. Empire. Look what you get now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's. It's never been more clear that this is a form of warfare designed to actually kill people. I mean, what do you think it's for? Right. You know, what does punishment mean? Punishment in this sense means death. I mean, that's, that's, you can't really say, I mean, it's so, it's never been more clear this is what sanctions are for. So, yeah. And look at the sanctions on Gaza. I was speaking to Ryan actually the other day about this and, you know, we talk about Gaza a lot and I think it's really important to keep Gaza and our brothers and sisters in Gaza and the West Bank in mind because think about this. How are you going to keep ventilators operating overnight? Two cases already discovered no, You think they're going to let COVID patients go across to the border to, yeah. into Israel? But also- you, 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 you fucking kidding me? They're you, not going to let those people go across? You literally can't treat COVID patients. Because there's no ventilation systems. Yeah. There's no electricity. <laughs> I, I mean, that siege means genocide. If this pandemic spreads within Gaza and people can't leave and, and it's the most densely populated area in the world and you don't have electricity that's sufficient enough to keep ventilators running, that means genocide. That means genocide. That's and absolutely then true. It, yeah. it's, it's horrifying to think about what is the potential to unfold in Gaza and then Robbie the West Bank Israeli authorities are just dumping Palestinians over the border who are showing symptoms of covid um I like saw trash an awful video of that it's horrifying mm-hmm. yep horrifying. everyone yep the video of, we all saw a man lying on the yeah. ground dying some Palestinian laborer who works in Israel who's barely breathing left to die this has happened with two confirmed cases so far no coordination or notification with like is the authorities no ambulance drop off like literally dumping him like a pile of trash and leaving him to die no the worst videos i saw out of china were not that bad people trying to make such a big deal about videos of people being forced to quarantine you know being like dragged into like vehicles um at least they're taking him to get medical care <laughs> you know i mean look at what's happening in fucking palestine dude it's just crazy that we just, it's just such selective shit that they show us to make us outraged at China. Well, guess what? China actually flattened this shit. And you, and believe it, the data has been verified by multiple third parties. It's no longer, you know, I even regret, you know, playing into any of that on the last podcast. There's no longer any excuse for saying, don't believe China, don't believe China. It's all been verified by third parties now. They've let in a ton of people to verify their work. It's not, there's no way that the CCCP or whatever people want to say controlling the narrative anymore there in terms of the amount of infections and deaths. And we can verify the stuff happening in Italy too. So all the data is there. Right. The horrifying bloodletting that's about to just unfold on purpose from this government in the richest country in the history of the world. Meanwhile, what are the countries doing that are under the boot of U.S. empire, that are under harsh economic blockades because they haven't bowed to the U.S. government? What are, what are Venezuela and Cuba doing, Robbie? Well, Maduro, 
I don't even know how the fuck he has money to do this. Like, it's really shocking that Maduro's doing this, but it's like, you know, I mean, it's not because you know that they prioritize people's needs and welfare of the community before profits. But still, it's like, good God, you're under such harsh sanctions and you're still doing this for the poorest of the country. It's just absolutely astounding. According to Venezuela analysis, President Maduro instructed that all commercial and residential rent are suspended for six months, flat out. Public and private sector workers will receive a special government bonus and the government's absorbing small and mid-sized companies' wages, all paid by the state until September to keep small businesses afloat. Job dismissals are outlawed as a result of the quarantine. Loan appeals by small and medium businesses are to be fast-tracked and a special agricultural investment plan to deal with CLAP, that subsidized food program that gives food every month to 7 million families to deal with the economic war is going to be guaranteed. Telecom companies are also barred from cutting off customers for six months. And their national crackdown is an imposed lockdown. Face masks are mandatory when you leave your home. And they estimate that they've already staved off like 3,000 potential cases that could have erupted because of these emergency measures that were implemented countrywide. Meanwhile, Twitter is suspending Venezuelan government accounts right now. They just suspended Telesur again. They're suspending all these government officials because they don't want to promote the good things that Venezuela is doing. They don't want Venezuela to look good, right? You don't really hear about the good things that Venezuela is doing. You don't really hear. I mean, you kind of hear about Cuba because they've just like inserted themselves because they have so many fucking doctors that they're exporting everywhere in these hot zones. So it's like the news has to cover that to a certain extent. But you don't hear anything about what Venezuela is doing because look how embarrassing our country looks in comparison. Oh yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna get hit harder by this than anywhere else in the world, except for maybe Gaza, Yemen. I'm just trying to think like the most impoverished like people who are like in the already in really terrible situations. Those are going to be the only countries we'll be able to compare to how the United States is going to get hit by this. That's how bad it's going to be. It's insane. And what's that it, an indictment? It's just of? crazy. It's an indictment of our system. Like it's just. Oh yeah. Sick. It's like an experiment in how far can we take capitalism and just like would not give a shit about anybody and just see what happens and just roll the dice. Yep. But it's like America is just poised to collapse. It's just ridiculous. Makes me wonder what people like Mike Rupert would be saying right now about this. Right. You know? Oh my God. Oh my God. And then you have Cuba, you know, like I just said, sending dozens of doctors into the heart of the epicenter which is um lombardi mm-hmm. italy you have them saving the british don't cheer those doctors miners. abby what's up don't cheer those doctors don't yeah. cheer those doctors abby it's a totalitarian regime don't cheer them it's yep. like 10 idiot neoliberal people like quote tweeting that little article of them the italians cheering the cuban doctors and saying that yeah tell that to the fucking italians who are dying don't cheer yeah. the doctors you sick fucks these are the yeah. same people who said Cuba was putting secret sound weapons in people's pillows <laughs> to make them deaf. So, of course, you're going to tell you not to cheer for them. Yeah. And and meanwhile, the U.S. is rejecting <laughs> the cruise liners that Cuba is accepting. They're the ones who are spreading around the actual vaccine interferon alpha 2B. They're, they're sharing it all around the world. Meanwhile, you have this president literally telling people to take like just like Jude Law's character in Contagion telling people to ingest yeah. a unverified, undocumented drug 
that two people, one person already died ODing on, and another person yeah. ingested um, aquarium cleaner, and his wife is actually like in a coma or something in the ICU. He died because it had the well, same the, ingredient the, yes. that Trump's drug does. Yes, this originally apparently started, and I, I want to say it started in China, but someone did put this information out in China too on their like social media channels, and someone took something like 1.5 grams of it, of the actual legit chemical, not the fish tank version, um, <laughs> and they still overdosed. But the crazy thing is the actual dose that's supposed to be effective against like fighting COVID-19 is like very close to the lethal dose, and... It's a drug that people who uh, have malaria, it's like one of the only malaria drugs that can like cure you. So anybody who has malaria around the world right now, which is actually still happening like all over the place, would need this drug. And then not to mention anybody with lupus also needs mm -hmm. this drug. Mm -hmm. So you're basically shortening the supply of it to get some like non, like off-label use that basically like came from a couple health experts who said it might help to fight it or whatever. The reality is that some of the best drugs that people have found to fight this are drugs that were developed in Cuba, anti-HIV uh, style mm -hmm, drugs. Mm -hmm. Those are what we know actually would help fight this. And yeah, we're basically going to have to rely on Cuban doctors again if we want to get that shit. And who knows? It's a brand new thing. It's like, who the fuck knows how soon they're right. going to make a vaccine? You know, it could be years. We still don't have a Zika virus vaccine. Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about what the U.S. is doing domestically and internationally, other than the criminal sanctions being put on Iran. God knows how many more people are dying because of these sanctions, but the U.S. has been bombing Iraq, right? I mean, they're taking this opportunity very openly as a means to isolate Iran further, surround Iran with warships. They haven't ruled out covert operations, cyber attacks they're considering at the same time that Iran is dealing with this horrifying crisis, bombing Iraq. They bombed another general. They bombed another Iranian, quote-unquote, Iranian-backed militia. And they probably have done much more. This is just what I know about in one story. So this is what's going on under the cover of COVID. Meanwhile, the U.S. empire is just starving populations and bombing the fuck out of people. Think about what's happening in Yemen like, there should be, like, an international ceasefire. Like, all hostilities end immediately. All wars, like, be put on pause. You know, like, all U.S. military operations stop. Because these populations that have been so vulnerable from U.S. militarism and imperialism are going to be so susceptible to the worst-case scenario of COVID. Like, Yemen. All the people who are on the brink of starving to death there. How are they going to stave off corona how are they going to deal with the pandemic it's funny actually because you know I've, I've been talking about how much alex jones has totally turned into a trump sycophant and you know never criticizes trump and basically the the idea of martial law potentially happening in the united states has become such a talked about concept during this national pandemic that marco rubio i don't know if you saw this weird series of tweets he did saying, people are talking about martial law. I don't know <laughs> why they keep saying martial law. It's not going to happen and never will. And then he had to correct his tweet say, later and say, I meant martial oh law. Oh my not God, martial. dude. Too much Coke? 
or Adderall or whatever the fuck they jacked him up with to make those small hand comments to Trump. Who knows, dude? That shit, it's, it's so dumb. But anyways, I've always found it funny that Alex Jones has just totally sold out and licks Trump's boots now. You know, the prospect of martial law is something that's been on a lot of people's minds since this all started because they're already starting to do forms of martial law in different parts of the world as a response to this global pandemic. During the Ebola outbreak in Africa, in Liberia, they had martial law, curfews. Now, is martial law an overblown or hyperbolic concept in this scenario, in this country? Or can we already look at other examples happening in even like Western countries like Spain and Italy and other parts of Europe and see, well, maybe that actually could happen here. I think we need to have an honest conversation about that because the National Guard are being presented right now as this heroic force that can pop up triage tents and extra hospital beds all over the country, even including in sports stadiums and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they have really skilled organizational abilities to quickly build things and they're all medically trained to a certain extent and all this shit. So there's all this like heroic National Guard stuff coming out. Even Sean Penn said that the U.S. Army is the most equipped, you know, they're the strongest force in the world that can help us fight this crisis and all this shit, like as if it's a war. Yeah, and it's like, dude, you were in Hurricane Katrina, really? You think that that, the the National Guard and the the U.S. military is sufficient to deal with something like that? Great. Or FEMA. Yeah, FEMA totally fucked up. Um, And that's who's going to be partly in charge of this. So basically, we already are getting... This is what's already happened. Let me just tell this to people that this is what's already happened since the last podcast I did with Emma about coronavirus. People who came off the Princess cruise ship who were infected, guess where they were told to go? What, they didn't Army get barracks? to go home and self-isolate. They had to go to Travis Air Force Base. So f- right off the bat, I'm like, oh my God, they're literally already f- sending people to go to quarantine at military bases. This was like three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. So that scared the shit out of me because I was thinking if Lori and I got got separated or if you got separated from Mike and you're infected, that would be the last place you'd want to be <laughs> is in a military base. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you want to be in an actual hospital. That would be scary too, but you'd at least want to be in a real hospital. But they're, I mean, they're sending people already to military bases. So it was already leaked that there's about 12 areas around the country that the military are setting up as quarantine zones in their own military bases to send people if they need to. They're not saying exactly why they're going to send people there, but presumably people are infected with COVID-19 that can't be seen in a hospital will be sent to these already existing military base areas. You know, that's pretty creepy. In New Rochelle, New York, they already did a National Guard quarantine zone around this area in New York, this small little area in upstate, and the soldiers there were actually armed. Um, There are photos of armed soldiers, while at the same time they're putting out press releases saying that they were only there to help clean things and disinfect things and like wipe down surfaces and, and all this stuff. But then you also saw like checkpoints. There's pictures of checkpoints in and out of the area. There's creepy signs that the army set up saying, keep the windows rolled up. So it's like, you know, are they trying to like lower people's fears and anxiety? I mean, putting up signs saying, keep the windows rolled up sounds like they're trying to tell people don't breathe the air. (laughs) I mean, that shit's like scary as fuck. That's very weird. So this is the thing that we need to take seriously. 
They are literally saying, and Cuomo is saying this too, that the National Guard was not going to be doing any police activity. But what happens if the National Guard are managing a quarantine zone and someone just tries to drive through it? Do you think the National Guard isn't going to do anything? I mean, at that point, they automatically will become policing the situation. They're not going to wait for the local police to show up. That's another function that the National Guard can perform. So I just want people to understand this, that they can do both. Yeah, they probably will have to help people who are suffering from this disease because there's not enough hospitals and doctors. So that's our fallback mechanism, which is just also really shitty, you know, that we have to activate all these poor young kids into service. Right. Um, I mean, that's sad. And that's just shitty for everyone. And they're going to expose themselves to the disease, too, because uh, something like one in 10 healthcare workers gets it that have like experienced this in hospitals. So it's even though they're using all this protection, they'll still there's still a very high likelihood of getting it if you're working around patients who have it. I don't want to get too dark, but do you want to be treated in a makeshift National Guard hospital where a 20-year-old soldier with medical training might be the one intubating you if you need a ventilator? I don't want to. I mean, it literally sounds like one of the worst ways to go out that I've ever heard of. So I would say... Try to stay with your loved ones as much as possible. And even though it doesn't seem like there's martial law or it doesn't even seem like people are getting penalties for violating these shelter-in-place orders right now, they have to... I mean, eventually this shit's going to get cracked down more if it gets worse. That's the thing to think about. If we're... Like, hasn't even peaked yet here, they're going to want to really heavily enforce this social distancing thing even more so. So they are going to like start arresting people or stopping people unless they're going for essential travel. There's already so checkpoints set up people, in LA. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we do need to be concerned about separating from our loved ones and venturing too far right now. I know that sounds maybe alarmist to some people, but it's not to me. I do not want to be separated from my wife or even mom. I right. don't want to, I, you know, I don't want her to venture too far if she has to go outside for some reason. I mean, if you get stopped right now and you don't have a good reason for being out there, I just think right now is a very scary time. Um, I'm not trying to fearmonger people, but you know we don't want this kind of response necessarily. We want people to obey like common decency and you know we want people to agree that it's probably a good idea to stay home right now and to socially distance and try to ride this out as much as possible. But like the enforcement aspect of it is an ugly thing. Especially when you throw into the mix the possibility of quote-unquote civil unrest in this country added on top of an already terrible situation with this much unemployment. I mean, it's a really potent cocktail um, that it can, can really get bad. I mean, if America is going to suffer as bad as all these you know people are saying it's going to, I think civil unrest is something that we can expect in this country. And um, it's gonna, it's not going to be pretty. And there's already plans on the books of what to do in a situation where there's civil unrest in this country. And I just want to read a bit from this Newsweek article. It's called Inside the U.S. Military's Plans to Stop Civil Disturbances Amid Coronavirus Pandemic, Something They Haven't Done in 30 Years. Or this will allow the federal government to circumvent governor's National Guard orders. Because right now, the way the hierarchy is set up is the governor gives the order. So Andrew Cuomo activated the National Guard in New York, okay? But what, hap- what will happen after this is the federal government could just... 
I don't, I don't want to scare people too much, but like Order 66 shit from like Revenge of the Sith. Like they can be like, here's your new orders. You do not listen to the governor anymore. Like Trump is giving your fucking orders now. And that could flip the switch at any time. And that's basically what this article's talking about. And how the National Guard could be used to, pre- to prevent civil unrest at the flip of a switch from the top down. And that's scary as shit. Very scary. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything we've learned from this government from 9-11, it's that they use crisis for opportunities for themselves to consolidate power, to expand militarism, to exploit uh, the grievances of Americans and exploit their fears to do really crazy shit, right? And there's a lot of room for abuse coming out of this pandemic. And that's what scares me is like a potential Patriot Act style legislation that will just be in place indefinitely. Uh and whether or not the National Guard is put out there to help distribute food or water or triage centers, like, I feel like that's the least of what could happen. You're talking about, you know, riots and what they deem like violence that they could crack down on, that they could suspend habeas corpus for, that they could do massive detention without trial. Yeah. And also just, well, are- again, pushing through legislation because when people are scared, they will succumb to whatever they feel like needs to happen. And I've seen a lot of people just calling for just let Trump do whatever he wants. Like we need the, the harshest, most strictest measures possible. And what worries it's me so is like weird, we're talking yeah. about Donald Trump who we already were warning about being a potential next Hitler, <laughs> suspending the elections, it's right? Such- Remember throwing out the trial balloons, suspending the elections. Yeah. This could happen. Oh, it absolutely can happen. And I think, unfortunately, it is going to happen. And it's actually surprising to me that Trump is not going to take that opportunity. He wants to try to reopen things up in 15 days. So maybe he's trying to balance between, does he want to become the new Hitler? Or does it want to see his <laughs> uh, economy numbers go up? Which one is more important to him? Maybe he can figure out a way to mix both together. You know, I'm sure on some level he already is. So like, we can't let our guard down and think, oh no, Trump, just because he's going to open things up in 15 days, which is insane, that he's not going to do, you know, become the new Hitler. Because here's two articles. One of them is in Politico. One of them's in Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone headline is, DOJ wants to suspend certain constitutional rights during coronavirus emergency. The Department of Justice has secretly asked Congress for the ability to detain arrested people indefinitely in order to, in, or, in addition to other powers that one expert called terrifying. Politico, DOJ seeks new emergency powers amid coronavirus pandemic. One of the requests to Congress would allow the department to petition a judge to indefinitely detain someone during an emergency. Which um, is so, so funny it gets, that they're, it gets worse. Which is so funny that they're doing this while Trump is saying, "Let's open everything up in two weeks." It's like, so why are you taking all these draconian backdoor measures? What's that about? That's what I mean by mixed messages. The the mixed messages coming out of his administration and his people is is still very bizarre. I mean, it was only lined up for like one day, and I was like, "Oh, this feels like a normal presidency for a second. and then all of a sudden it just falls apart, and there's just all these different mixed messages like coming out from everywhere. It's very, very strange. I don't know what to make of it, but I still think we should be very concerned. This easily could be his new Hitler moment. I know that just sounds hyperbolic to people, but it's like, no, really think about what's going on. If he delays the general election, he's effectively dictator, extending his first term. I mean, these are real things we need to consider now. This is no longer a joke or like some kind of, you know, 
sketch on a late night TV show. It's actually like real and serious. And um, I don't know. I, it's yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's wrap it up, Robbie. Uh, we've been going for a while and um, we know, you know, we know people are probably overwhelmed with the information, but we hope that you got a lot out of the podcast. It was really great to catch up with you and I miss you and I miss mom. It's sad that I can't see you guys right now. And let's wrap up just our final thoughts here that we can leave people with um, just some hope and positivity about, you know, dealing with mental health and dealing with the antisocial nature of our society. I mean, we, like I said before, we tend to not be communal like other countries we are a community. There is some weird instinctual notion in America to just look out for yourself. And I think that we need to really resist that. And I think that, you know, the media tends to like not show the good, of course. And so we just need to look at like what happened in Hurricane Katrina, what happened in Hurricane Harvey in Houston that we covered for Empire Files and these huge disasters. Humanity did overcome the failures of government and they helped each other survive and that's what we need to do now. We need to set up group chats with our friends and family. We need to set up mutual aid delivery drops, no contact aid for people who are just alone and isolated. That's who I'm worried about are people who are completely alone during this. And we need to take stock yeah. in our mental well-being and mental health first and foremost because this is a super challenging situation. And if you're alone and isolated, it could be really triggering and detrimental to your mental well-being. And so please reach out to health hotlines, reach out to others, friends, family, keep yourself in a positive space, read positive things, read fiction, you know, maybe dust off that book that's been on the shelf for a while that you haven't wanted to read, read some comics, do some art. It's a perfect time to get into some creative energy right now. And just try not to inundate yourself with constant negative news about the coronavirus like I've been, especially like you said in the last podcast, right when you wake up and right before you go to bed. Because above all, this is a radicalizing moment and it should and needs to be a radicalizing moment for people in this country. It's the dawn of a new era and it's exposing the global order that is functional versus the global order that is not. And it's on its way to collapse. It, it, we live in a decaying empire that's obsessed with just building up its military. And we're dealing with something that we can't fight militarily. And there's no going back to the old world. Like this is something that we are in together with the entire fucking world. And that's something that comforts me, even though it's also scary. The whole world is, is in this together and, and we are all one big family. If you need autonomous mutual aid groups in your vicinity, you can check out different lists that have aggregated this. It's Going Down has a list of different um, collectivized actions and efforts that are helping to do aid drops and stuff like that. So reach out to anyone in your life who you feel like can help you through this because right now is the time that we need to be communicative and open and compassionate above all. Yeah. And I think, you know, people that you haven't spoken to in a while, friends that you haven't gotten in touch with, maybe even for a couple of years, you haven't heard their voice or spoken to. Now's the time to do it. You know, get back in touch with those people because we don't know how long this is going to last. And even if you feel like you've already accepted this, you know, you've already gone to the last stage of grief, 
that grief cycle can start all over again once you know bodies start piling up you know we don't we don't know what this is exactly going to be like and i think regardless of your views on if the virus is real or fake you know i can't believe some people are still saying it's fake but even if you don't think it's going to be any worse than the flu and that's something you're holding on to you know just um you know and if you have a family you know try to read stuff you know, try not to use confirmation bias and actually take in this the information. Most experts are telling you right now that it is not like the flu. Only the minority of experts are trying to be contrarian about that right now. It's overwhelming consensus that this has a very much higher death rate um, than the flu. I'm worried about those people that they're not taking it seriously enough. Uh, but I think mental health, more than anything right now, if you are taking precautions, if you already have enough supplies... There's a lot of hoarder shaming going on right now, too. Um, and I think, you know, in some ways, it's like, don't feel ashamed for wanting to go stock up on at least a few weeks of food or a month. I mean, it's hard to even order groceries online right now. This is not a joke. This is, we don't know how long this is going to happen. So um, think of ways to have non-perishable goods and and to, you know, save up, uh, you know, ways to make meals for yourself and your family that efficiently you know, without wasting as much food as maybe you normally would. These are this is like a time to actually employ a lot of those things that good hygiene. You know, being very non-wasteful about the way you use your resources. These are good times to employ all those values. I think because we might really need them. It's no longer the totally worry-free American society that we've been used to for the last 20, 30 years. This is like something that could be very real and get worse. We just need to think about that things are very very fragile it's not this strong america you know we're great we're better than everyone else it's actually really fragile and hanging by a thread exactly well said thank you so much for listening thank you for your support for media roots radio and yeah let us know what you think on the soundcloud timeline itunes and spread the word spread the word to people that you know that aren't taking this seriously and let's just keep keep the line of communication open and you know again we're we're here for you we're available so if you have any questions or concerns or comments we're always around to to answer those and address those so thanks so much everyone i hope you're staying safe i hope you're staying sane much love many hugs to all of you around the world who are dealing with this yeah, thank you everybody for listening and I'll just leave you with this one David Hogg tweet which I just read. <laughs> he says he says TikTok is a national security threat that should only be used to call out the Chinese government who controls it for their atrocities and human rights abuses. I'm not kidding. We need to cancel TikTok. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. So, what? <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to leave you with that, guys. Good night. Sage Hogg. If you want to donate to uh, Media Roots Radio and you like what you heard today and you like what you hear on this podcast, please consider subscribing to Media Roots Radio at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. Yes, please consider donating to us. We know that everyone's going through a tough time economically, but if you have the means, we really would appreciate it because we too are bracing for the worst economically and we appreciate your support so much for alternative independent media that challenges these paradigms. So thanks so much, everyone. Peace out. Stay safe.